You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose Sermon Podcast. To get connected at Sojourn Montrose, visit our website, sojournmontrose.org. If you were with us last week, we talked about a different parable. Uh, it was the par- a parable of the rich fool, and in the scenario that plays out in that parable, a person in the crowd asks Jesus a question about inheritances. And from that question, Jesus really identifies the heart issue of the person asking the question, and he tells a parable and makes a point. And this week, it's no different, right? The, uh, the scenario is this, a grumbling complaint by a group of people merits a parable which makes a point. So let's look at the grumble together, uh, starting in verses 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, him being Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So these people questioning Jesus uh, and grumbling regarding his actions, they are the Pharisees and the scribes, which means they are the religious elite, the Jewish religious elite of the day. And all throughout the Gospels, we see the Pharisees and the scribes testing Jesus. They test his knowledge of Scripture, and they try and trap him and trick him into incorrectly applying it. They wanted to make a mistake primarily because they don't like the way he is applying the Scripture. And the Pharisees prided themselves on, uh, on their elitism in, in keeping the law. They prided themselves in how well they could keep the law. But part of this elitism had, had turned into uh, a posture of not associating with anybody who was sinful. Right? They, di- they, didn't, they didn't approach them at all. And so, the people that Jesus is receiving and eating with, the sinners and the tax collectors, um, to the Pharisees, they're, they're morally, these are the morally unapproachable. If we associate with them, we are, we are in sin. And, and it's because for the Pharisees, obedience and purity are more important than showing love for sinful neighbors. Even though the Pharisees have access to and the knowledge of uh, showing the sinful people a way of repentance, right? They, they have access to the same Scripture that Jesus does, and yet they're so concerned with obedience, so concerned with purity that they don't see any way forward to even approach those who they would deem morally unacceptable. And so, just like in last week's parable where a question exposed the heart, in this week's parable, a grumble exposes the heart. And and the the, the heart is exposed in this way. If Jesus is eating with sinners, Jesus must be a sinner. He isn't different from them. He doesn't keep them at a distance. He's not set apart from them. So, he must be a sinner. And more than approach them, he's receiving them, he's dining with them. And if Jesus is a sinner, he's not God. He's not who he said he was. That's the thought process of the Pharisees. And moreover, the thought process is this. So, either he's a sinner, or if he's not a sinner, 
then why has he come not to condemn these people? If Jesus is who he said he is, the Son of God, instead of eating with and receiving sinners, he should be condemning sinners. And and it's because their perception of justice is warped. In this instance, justice for the Pharisees demands that sin be condemned, period. We either don't touch it or we condemn it or both. Right, so justice demands that sin be punished, not dined with. Certainly not shown mercy, certainly not shown forgiveness, but they wanted punishment. And so these two realities are wrapped up in this grumble that uh, that either Jesus is a sinner, so he finds his friends among sinners, or he's not who he says he is because he hasn't come to do what we thought God would come to do, which is condemn. So Jesus is unjust. And Jesus, knowing this, in his, in his brilliance, knowing, uh, knowing the grumble, he says this in the parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me. I have found my sheep that was lost. So what I want us to work through for the next few minutes is, why this parable in response to this grumble? I mean, he's using the metaphor of shepherd and sheep um, in this way. He, he's using it to say that I, God, pursue the lost. I, God, pursue the lost. All right, we know that all throughout Luke, Jesus is saying, I have come to establish my kingdom on earth. The kingdom of God is here. And his kingdom is built in this way. He pursues the lost, individual by individual, and bring them, brings them into his kingdom. He pursues individual lost sheep and adds them to the flock. And so, we're simply the sheep in this scenario. And this isn't a new illustration all throughout the Bible, Jesus refers to his followers and his people, God refers to his followers and his people as sheep and his flock. Where the shepherd was common in ancient Israel, and it's still common in a lot of places in the world, it's not really common in Houston, I don't think. Um, so, we need to do, I think, a little bit of work to understand what a shepherd does, and maybe you understand more. I didn't, so I read exactly one article on shepherding, and I, it, I think it was like the 10 most important things about shepherding, um, and I don't know if the source was trustworthy or not, but, but it was written by a shepherd, I presume. Uh, so, here's what I think, here, here's what I pulled out of that article. The number one in the article was shepherding is humble and personal work. It's the most ancient of professions. 
It's required of the shepherd that they tend to the sick lambs, that they provide food, shelter, and security. And one of the main points was also this. Shepherds simultaneously have to tend to the whole flock and tend to the individual. Right? They, they are simultaneously focused on the entire herd and focused on each individual sheep. And so, as we learn, or as I kind of learn more about shepherding, uh, I can begin to see, or we all can begin to see why the Bible uses the sheep and shepherd metaphor so often, because it's humble, personal. It's, it's in the tension of the flock and the individual. And Psalm 23 says this, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. And he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. So Hebrew poetry is full of the sheep and shepherd metaphor because it's immediately relatable to the least common denominator in society. And it portrays God for who he is, intimate in relationship, provider leader to still water, giver of food, shelter, rest, righteousness. In other points of, of the Old Testament, we have the same metaphor of sheep and shepherd, but used in different ways, right? Maybe not poetic, but used to condemn and used to prophesy. And I think the best uh, illustration of that is Ezekiel 34, which we read in the Assurance of Pardon, but I want us to revisit it. And at the beginning of Ezekiel 34, if you have a Bible, you can turn there because we're going to go through a lot of it. Um, the, the prophet is, is calling out the spiritual leaders of Israel for their failure in being good shepherds. Let's read it. 34 says this, the word of the Lord came to me and it said, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak ones you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. They became food for the beasts. And God says, my sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered all over the face of the earth with none to search and seek for them. So we have a condemnation, right? God saying through the prophet, the spiritual leaders, you have failed your people. You have not fed them. You have not protected them. You have not sought them when they've, they've gone lost. Instead, you've eaten yourself, eaten for yourself. But continuing in verse 11, we get the prophecy that's that the condemnation is not divorced from this. Let's read starting in verse 11. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves, for I will rescue my sheep from their mouths. They will not be food for them. 
Behold, I myself will search for my sheep, and I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on the day of clouds and darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture. There they shall lie down in good grazing land. And on a rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be their shepherd. the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. So it's very likely that when the Pharisees and the scribes hear Jesus say this parable, that they thought of this passage. And they were called a condemnation and a prophecy. And we can begin to understand what Jesus is saying and what he's doing. He's saying that he's fulfilling this prophecy that God has come to earth to be the shepherd in the form of a man. And he's rescuing sheep that are lost. He feeds them. He heals them. And he pursues those who are his. This is how Jesus has come to build his kingdom. So while the grumble is a self-righteous assault on God himself, saying this man receives and eats with sinners, and therefore he must be a sinner and condone sin, while that's happening, the truth is that God has come for those very sinners whom he has chosen to be his people. And this is good news for the sinner in this scenario which means it's good news for me, and it's good news for you. Right? The, the individual reality that we should begin to feel the gravity of in this scenario is, or in this parable is that we were the lost sheep that Jesus pursued. We are the lost sheep that he rejoined to his flock, his people, his kingdom. And we need to understand what happens when we're pursued and found. It says this, continuing in the parable, Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents, which has a couple meanings, right? It certainly could mean and does mean your first, your first point of repentance when you converted, when you turned and decided to follow Jesus. And it also means ongoing repentance. Let's talk about both. So, so for some of you, that first repentance was really palpable. It was really powerful, right? You were living a life void of the goodness of God. And upon hearing about who Jesus is and what he's done, you felt the Spirit tug on you, and you chose to follow Him, to believe in Him, and answer this call. You hear about Jesus, you believe in Him, you follow Him, you give your life to Him, you're baptized, you turn from your old life, and you live into your new life. And if your story is like that, you should know 
that when that happened, there was joy in heaven. You should know that the God of the universe stopped what he was doing and celebrated you. The, the, the angels in heaven celebrated you. Or maybe, if you're kind of more like me, you can't really recall a time that you weren't a believer, that you didn't follow Christ. You know, it was early in childhood. Maybe it's because of your parents' faith or grandparents' faith, but it's always been kind of a part of your story. I should know that your story is not less celebrated and not less important. The heavens didn't have, like, cake in the break room. The universe stopped and celebrated you. And you were joined to a flock, a kingdom. Right? Like, that's our story. It's part of it. And what about Christians when, as believers and followers of Jesus, what about when we stumble and we confess sin to one another and repent to one another? The same is still true. The heavens celebrate repentance. The heavens celebrate when we as sinners are convicted by the Holy Spirit and we share what we're convicted about, we repent to one another, we forgive one another, and we're rejoined to the flock, maybe daily. We as sheep will wander. Sheep wander. They get close to cliffs. They fall off cliffs. They get swept up by floods. They forget to eat. But the shepherd pursues us. He calls you by your name. He knows and wants to care for you and feed you and heal you and bind up your wounds. And part of that process is to turn from whatever we're wandering towards and go to the call, run to the call. So, what's important for us is to remember that we as individuals have been restored to God's kingdom because he pursued you. But we're not pursued and cared for alone. When Jesus finds us, he brings us into community, into his flock, into the church, into his kingdom. This is how the global church has been established, right? Since, since Jesus died and rose again, it's been established one by one by one being added to the flock. So, why, why does he put us in the flock? Well, there's safety in numbers. That's true of a flock of sheep, but it's true for us. We can, we can keep each other safe as we follow Jesus as our leader, as the flock. Right? Wolves are less prone to attack. We're less likely to stumble off a cliff. And practically, it means we, we can keep each other accountable. We can point each other to the way of the shepherd, to the way of Jesus. We can care for one another financially like we talked about last week, but, but spiritually by praying for one another, loving each other, and forgiving each other radically as we have been forgiven. 
And this is why every week we say that the church is a people to belong to. Because Jesus calls us a people to belong to. He calls us a flock. So this is our flock, sojourn. There's no context for, for redemption outside of biblical community. There just isn't. So this parable gives us the why behind what Jesus is doing. He's dining with sinners. He's receiving sinners. Why? Because this is what he has come to do. And so when sinners are added to the kingdom, we should never grumble. We should never find ourselves in a, in a spot of righteousness uh, from ourself or a spot of complaining or grumbling. Right? We might be tempted to grumble because really our culture's idea of justice doesn't include forgiveness and grace. Right? It, it's just like the Pharisees never consider forgiveness and grace when faced with this issue with Jesus. But God's justice is held in tandem with His grace, right? A big difference between our culture's justice and the Bible's justice is the radical forgiveness and grace that comes from our God. And as biblical justice is radical in forgiveness, radical in its grace, it's still totally just in that it demands payment for sin. And all throughout the season of, of Lent, we're looking at what it costs to be part of God's kingdom. And for us to be radically forgiven and grafted into the flock, into his people, a price was paid, and that price was Jesus' life. And shortly after this parable, Jesus is betrayed, he's arrested, he's denied, he's beaten, he's bloody, he's whipped, he's mocked. He's tortured and he's deprived on a Roman cross. And the denials and the mockings are from some of the same sheep that he came to save. On that bloody day, the clouds gathered in darkness. Why did he do this? Well, this is how he pursues us. This is how he pursued you. This is how he pursued me. He did this to call your name and say, fear not. I have come to gather you and add you to the flock, and to do that, I'll pay for you. Sin is on my shoulders, and I will it will enslave you no longer. Safety is in my flock. Shelter is in my flock. Food, water, healing, come to me, and I'll lead you. And so on Easter, three days later, when we celebrate his resurrection, death is given its final defeat. And we are given final, eternal safety in the flock. This is who Jesus is and what he's come to do. So what, what should our response be? What, what do we need to do this week? What should we take away from this? Uh, in light of the truth of this parable. Well, one, I think we should never grumble or complain that anyone who is restored to the flock, meaning anyone who turns from a life of sin, of any sin, 
If they turn and follow Jesus, they have safety here in this flock. Radical forgiveness is part of who we are. Radical acceptance is part of who we are. Right? We, we radically accept people. And we know that Jesus accepts and pursues all people, all sheep. But when he receives them, he sends his spirit to conform them into his image. Spirit of conviction. It's a radical acceptance that leads to radical repentance and radical forgiveness. It's how Jesus builds the kingdom. And our church as an outpost of the kingdom has to reflect that. And two, uh, 2 Corinthians 5 says this. If anyone is in Christ, he is new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, Christ, God, was reconciling the world to himself, chasing lost sheep, not counting their trespasses against them, and trusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Right? For our sake, he made him who knew no sin to be sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus, in gathering the sheep, reconciles them to the flock. Likewise, once now that we are reconciled to the flock, we are given the ministry of reconciliation. That's what 2 Corinthians says which means we share the gospel with our friends, our neighbors, and our coworkers. We are ambassadors for Christ. And the good news has to be brought. So we live in this tension of being sheep who wander and also sheep who call other sheep in and point them to a shepherd. That means people in our church, if they go missing, we chase after them. And it also means we share Jesus with, with our friends, neighbors, and coworkers. I know I'm I'm prone to making excuses, but but I need to learn from Jesus, right? And and ask myself honestly: Do I receive and dine with the lost people in my life? Do I receive them? Do the people? And this is what receiving them I think looks like. Do the people I know who don't know Jesus have a spot at my table regularly? Do the people in my life who don't know Jesus even know that I'm a believer? Do they know that I believe in radical grace and radical forgiveness? Do they know that I want them to have it? Have they heard that from my lips? Have I prayed for them in private? Have I prayed for them to their face? Do I embrace and receive them? Do I, am I desperate for them to be added to the flock? The answers to these questions for me is often no. But I want to, by the power of the Spirit and the accountability I have in you, brothers and sisters, walk towards this. I want the answers to those questions to be yes for me. Not because of my own glory, but because I know as a sheep who's been grafted into the flock how great the flock is. And finally, 
would we believe and know that the heavens are rejoicing at our repentance? When we stumble and fall into sin, and we will, do we believe that the heavens rejoice at our repentance? And I think if we believe if we believe that, if we believe the heavens rejoice when we repent of sin, then I think we would wade into the uncomfortable waters of repenting and forgiving so much more than we do. And maybe those scenarios would stop looking a little awkward and start looking like celebrations. If we don't believe that for ourselves, then we're not going to invite our neighbors, friends, and coworkers into it. But when we truly believe that the God of the universe stops and rejoices over the lost coming to Him, we will see reconciliation, and we'll seek it out more and more and more, and we'll celebrate it. Over 2019, I want to, uh, and really over the life of Sojourn Montrose, I want to I hear and tell more stories of lost sheep being found. We told quite a few already. We told one at the members meeting yesterday. And I know that Jesus isn't going to abandon us in this desire. He is our shepherd, and by his grace and power, his ministry of pulling lost sheep into his flock will continue for decades among us. And so as a, as a local outpost of the kingdom, we pray towards that end, and will we come to the table this morning rejoicing that that was true for us at one point, that he pursued us, that he gathered us, and that he brought us in, and that he feeds us by his broken body and his shed blood. He quenches our thirst. Will we never forget that he paid for us to, to be added So let's rejoice in what happened to us, and let's seek out more and more people to add to his kingdom, knowing that the heavens celebrate when we do. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for pursuing us. Thank you for adding us to your flock. Thank you for hoisting me on your shoulders, hoisting my sin on your shoulders and taking it and dying for it and raising in victory over it. And Lord, will we never forget the cost that was paid and will we never forget the grace and forgiveness that has radically been given to us through you. And Lord, would you make us a people that invites more people in? Lord, I repent this morning. I turn from my, um, my comfort in not wanting to love the lost in this way, love the, the people who don't know you in my life. I pray that I would pray for them, seek them out, invite them to my table. Because ultimately, Lord, I want us to rejoice for eternity. And so, Lord, would you help us? Thank you for your word, for your parables that teach us. Thank you for your grace in providing teaching for us, but your grace in so much more. And that you would die and rise again for us, Lord. Would we celebrate that this Lent season? 
And would we be prepared for your resurrection that is to come. Lord, we love you. We trust you. We praise you. We pray all this in your name. Amen.